Welcome to Future Sight, a show from Capgemini Invent. I'm Ollie Judge. On this show, we explore new ways for you to adapt and grow for the future in business. This week, we're talking about innovating in the current climate. Technology and the approaches we take towards change are evolving rapidly. To help us chart our way through these new waters, we brought on two people that see change at a wide range of different levels every day. Todd Rovac, who leads innovation and strategy at Capgemini Invent, and Mark Payne, founder of Fahrenheit 212, which is part of Capgemini Invent. Todd and Mark, welcome to the show. I want to start by understanding where we are right now. This year has been turbulent, to say the least. Could you unpack what we're currently facing? So we are undoubtedly in a recession that is somewhere between between choppy and really, really bad. The interesting thing is a lot of people would call it the, the COVID recession. But in truth, the, uh, the writing was on the wall long before COVID hit. There were a number of indicators pointing to a downturn before COVID was even in, in the conversation. The, uh, there was a survey of CFOs in late 2019 where um, some 85% of them believed we'd be in a recession by 2021. So COVID has been this amazing amplifier and accelerant of the tough climate that was likely to come around anyway. So we're, we're clearly in the throes of that right now. And, and we're seeing a lot of our, a lot of the great companies that we work with simultaneously straddling these two realities of needing to do a lot of in the moment innovating to address the, the, the COVID realities, but simultaneously trying to innovate for the future within a, a recessionary climate. So it's uh, a bit of a double whammy right now that they're all grappling with. I think if you think of like the economic EKG across categories, some categories that were really on the outs have suddenly become relevant and growth businesses again, um, which is really, really interesting to see like in, in retail center of store categories that had fallen way out of fashion or suddenly growth businesses again. You've got the tech companies that have really picked up a windfall for the most part, where digital behavior supplanting, you know, analog real world behavior has, has just been amplified and accelerated. And yeah, those other sectors that are that are really taking it on the chin. Obviously the whole hospitality, travel, food service, some of those industries are really reeling and in that, you know, play defense mode. The other thing we we have at the moment are companies grouping themselves almost into almost into buckets of how they deploy their resources in reaction to the to the economic environment. You have those treading water, you have those playing almost entirely defense, and you have those looking to kind of innovate and play offense from within this space. So I think maybe more than other recessionary periods where it's been in some ways about survival, you're seeing vastly different buckets of behavior. So if you're a company that is playing defensively right now, how do you start to move yourself into a more offensive position? Yeah, I, I, I'd start by, I think you have to start with an understanding of where you sit in your own ecosystem. And the, 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 the challenge with this stuff is a lot of what's been happening over the last few months has been really compensatory in, in nature. So it's curbside pickup for retailers and it's it's outdoor dining for restaurants and um, some touchless things for hospitality. And, and, and so a lot of it starts with saying, well, okay, that that's not enough. And frankly, that's actually a, 
can even be considered a distraction towards what is what our fundamental way of working in business model is going to be. So I think part of it is, is, is taking a breath and saying, okay, what is the growth engine for our company? Really? Um, is it, is it curbside pickup? No, that's a survival tactic. So what is really the growth engine? And, and even then to your question of where you, where you start, a lot of this depends on the, the, the category frame uh, that you sit within. So what we are seeing is a world without walls between industries anymore. And the ability of a retailer to become a healthcare company, the ability of a, 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 an automaker to become a, a financial services platform. And what that means is that we can take some of our eyes off the obsession with startups a bit and turn our eyes a little bit more to actually where are the threats really coming from. And more and more in the last couple of years, this kind of fetish uh, um, and obsession with startups around how they're all going to be disrupted from five guys in a basement has has transitioned to, oh, hang on a second, a massive company completely adjacent that I didn't think about isn't going to be a competitor tomorrow. And so when we ask the where do we start question, we actually have to start with a map of saying who are the real competitors now and going forward before, you know, um, and, and, and that tends to help us center a bit on what innovation actually looks like. Is it the compensatory stuff to stay alive? Is it the defensive stuff of someone that may come into my industry? Is it the offensive stuff to actually grow? So, so at, at risk of oversimplification, defining actually what we what a company wants probably is the beginning of that innovation planning question. Mark, do you have anything to build on that? The real enemy of innovation in, in good times and bad is, is not other innovation. It, it's, it's inertia. It's putting a, a, a hot new idea out there and having people just, you know, carry on with what they already had in their lives. A, a moment of change like this, a, a significant disruption, creates a, a reconsideration of normal behavior. And it can, in many ways, create an easier climate to displace things because consumers are already forced to, to question the status quo in a lot of, in a lot of parts of their lives. So innovation is a pretty broad topic and has a variety of different interpretations, many of which are seen as wasting time or resources. How do you make sure you aren't falling into that trap? Yeah, one of the, I mean, the, the, the challenge I think that sits in all of this is you can look at 10 different companies and 10 different companies will tell you they have an innovation capability in some form. And one of them is, is going to one of them is going to be obsessed with making sure curbside pickup works. Another is going to be trying to fundamentally change the business model, and a third is going to be, for some reason, taking out cost and calling that innovation. So we we, we struggle a little bit with even the definitions of this stuff because it's it's everywhere and therefore it's not it's nowhere. So I, I like to think like of innovation as the intersection of what is what is creative and what is useful. Right. So, so, and, and actually to put down the, the, the worry about what innovation is and isn't anyway, because it's not as super, it's not super helpful. What we know is companies have lost the muscle to find growth because they've optimized themselves like crazy over the last 20 years. And when we say, well, where do they start in innovation? It starts with saying, well, do they have that muscle? It's like saying, all right, let's go run a race. Well, if you, these are companies with fundamental, who haven't stood up in a long time because they've been optimizing, optimizing, taking out costs, taking out costs, being more efficient, which is really good and a value creator. It just leaves them without the playbook when it's time to actually grow. So the, the way to start conversation starts with what assets do we really have? Do we even have an innovation process? And this is where I think, uh, you know, do we have a process at all? 
one of the biggest failures I, I, I think over the last five years has been taking a bunch of cool furniture and maybe an interesting room in the company and a couple reposition a couple people from the marketing department who fit a certain profile and deciding you have an innovation capability, right? You suddenly you call it a lab. And then, and, and so I think there's a lot of misconceptions around what this stuff actually is. So, so um, a, a good internal look is important first. Yeah. And it, interestingly, if, if you look back at the early days of every great company, they, they created something unless they were knocking off somebody else and executing better, but, but th- those are pretty rare. So every, every company like a superhero has that origination story where they created something. But as, as Todd said, the, the, the optimization and optimization and, and just riffing on, on that thing they did some time ago overtakes a company in, in many, many ways. And they can grow quite nicely just by grabbing low-hanging fruit of the next little twist on, on that thing they created some years ago. Um, but if you look at most companies today, the, the low-hanging fruit has already been plucked and pureed into past year's earnings. So all that optimization and all that plucking of low-hanging fruit has allowed that creative muscle to atrophy, that ability to create original new things that create big value, that create new categories, and that, that push customer experience in, in amazing directions. So regardless of whether a company thinks they're playing offense or defense, there's a wide recognition of the need to reboot that muscle. We're, we're seeing that across sectors. Um, there are 50 ways to solve that, but there's no longer a question of whether they need to innovate. I think that that has really that conversation has really left the building probably over the last 10 years. So when you're approaching a new strategy, it's very easy to fall into the trap of hype-driven development. What do you usually see companies go down the wrong path with and where should they be focusing? Yeah, I, I think it's important not to confuse the inputs, which are emerging technologies at times, business model innovation. That, those, are, those are the things you have to work with. That, that's the paint, not the painting. And if you start with the answer saying, I'm going to make something out of blockchain, you're going to get something out of, you're going to get exactly what you, what you asked for, not exactly what the market needs, maybe not exactly what's going to drive growth. And there's lots of ways to, to, to get confused. So for us, and at least in my experience, the answer is discipline. Innovation is not playing with new things. It is, do you have a process that can find the value and the insights and put things together in new ways that create things that actually have an impact? They may be entirely old technologies. You can create immense value with a factory that's just not used but could be repurposed. You don't need to find a use for blockchain to use an unused factory in a completely new way. So I think the, 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 the obsession with whatever's in the news that week can be countered with a little bit of discipline to understand if you can find the, the commercial value within those inputs and put them together in a way that's interesting, uh, you have something. All of that comes with discipline. There's actually a second point floating around here, which is that we think innovation is a discipline. And that means it's something that can be taught and something that, that, that should have a process, something where you want to measure the yield. There's all kinds of ways to evaluate a good idea and a bad idea. So, it's not, so innovation is not this process of let's talk about things that are cool. Hey, no bad, there's no bad idea, guys. Of course there's bad ideas. Of course there are. Things that don't work, things that don't create value, things that are distracting, things that use resources in the wrong way. So discipline, I think, is a real antidote to 
to hype. Okay, so you've built your discipline in the current environment. Who's going to get ahead and why? What's the strategy here? What's happening now is that the overall the timeline is compressed. So I think the question as to whether to innovate or not is less, is less important as what are you innovating for? What are you trying to create for? What we know is happening that has been accelerated over the last year is winners and losers in categories are going to change or flip in the next couple in, in the next couple of years ahead. And a company that maybe had five years or three years to work its way through a strategic plan has probably about 24 months to figure out how it's going to play in that new world. It's not true of every industry, but it's true of a lot. Hospitality, entertainment, auto, food and food service, a lot of direct-to-consumer businesses. And so uh, it's no longer useful to have a five-year plan that you paid a consultant to create for you that's now sitting on the shelf. It's just not useful for you anymore. You need to be testing ideas. You need to have a sense of where you fit in that. Which isn't to say you shouldn't have big long-term vision. It's just you should have a view of what that 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 long-term just happens to be coming in the near term. I'd add as well that it's amazing how long it's been since we had a recession. And there aren't many people in innovation leadership roles now who were in those roles last time there was a recession. So we have to look back to look forward a little bit. And there are great studies out there of hundreds of companies and their performance track through and beyond recessionary cycles. And one of those studies shows that the deck just gets fundamentally reshuffled between growth businesses and non-growth businesses in these, in these periods. In the last big recession, a quarter of companies in this study dropped from top tertile or top quartile earnings performance relative to their peers to the bottom. And another quarter went from the bottom to the top. So there's a lot of shifting of position and the, the companies that, that moved from underperformance to overperformance, 70% of them held on to their growth gains long after the recession was gone. So it, it's a time to, to move or be moved. If a metaphor is helpful, um, think, about, think about riding in, in the Tour de France. One of the, the most successful strategies over the years has, by winning riders has been described as, as winning on the hill. And anybody can go fast downhill, but it is the toughest part of the course where you're able to create the most competitive separation. And you see so many winners that separated themselves on the really hard climbs. That's what we're seeing here. The ability to play leapfrog during a recession where your competitors may be retrenching and saying, hey, this is a time to just cut cost and, and streamline and to use the recession as an excuse to go lay off people you might have wanted to lay off anyway, where other companies absolutely play offense in that moment and say, this is where we're going to create separation that is going to endure. And uh, innovation is a key, key catalyst to doing that. A good strategy will span near-in things that are about gaining market, you know, protecting or gaining market share through sort of your next iteration, pushing the envelope, you know, w within the current platforms that you have, while a healthy amount of that stuff is going to be, you know, horizon two, horizon three, where your goals may be very different. You may not be chasing market share. You may be creating entirely new categories or stepping into categories where you're starting from zero. So that's part of the discipline here. Um, and having a clear strategic game board to guide you in those missions because 
you know, your long-term growth potential shouldn't just be constrained to eking out a little bit more share. That's back in the old model of, of big companies fighting the other big companies that are just like them and in the same categories. And, and the world just isn't like that anymore. So looking on the other side of the coin here, what are the approaches that could hurt an innovation effort? So particularly in, a, in an existing company, I don't believe in innovation capabilities that aren't considered strategic. So, hey, let's have an open innovation competition, get a bunch of ideas. If if it's not put against a company's strategy or a direction, it doesn't make those ideas bad. It just means they're not going to happen. And they won't get money. They won't get time. Um, again, the scare, it, it's resources that are, and, and the allocation of those resources that matter in a company. It's not do we have enough ideas. So bottom-up is important and can create a lot of cool stuff. At the same time, it has to be aligned with the way things are done in a company, which which does sit at the board level and does sit in the C-suite, which is one of the one of the reasons why when someone creates a skunk works and says, oh, we're going to wall off this capability and let them be creative. What it actually does is starve them of oxygen, starves them of money, it starves them of a way to reenter the business, starves them of understanding the technology that runs the business. And so you get really beautifully designed things that don't get to market. So I, I'm I'm in favor of, of of things being I don't want to say top down, but certainly things being aligned with the overall direction, and because that's what unlocks the money. And as much as we want to talk about creativity and innovation, if it's not funded and if it doesn't have a way to get funded, it's not going to happen. And there's it's not the sexiest thing to say in innovation, but for those that do it, no, there needs to be a funding source, just like venture capital, just like private equity, just like a startup. So um, that's the rocket fuel that makes these ideas uh, ideas really work. I make one other comment on, on where some of this comes from, which is maybe, maybe more broad, which is to say right now, there is more talent in the marketplace that has more varied idea and business origination experience than has ever existed. So we are not in the decade where we need 26-year-olds in hooded sweatshirts to be the source of all ideation and new things. We have people who have spent time at big companies and startups and creative agencies, and they have flowed. They're not 25, they're 45 or 35. And there is this really experienced, I call them like origination talent, idea origination talent that's out there that's very current. In fact, they don't even have a lot of homes, some of them, because they don't know what's right for them. They're, they're should I be in a startup? Should I be in a startup studio? Should I be in venture capital? Should I be in... A big company doing it there. The answer is yes to all of it, but people like that are looking for their platform. So if, if there are companies now looking to activate innovation strategies or build those capabilities, one of the ingredients, not the only ingredient, but one of the ingredients is the experienced talent to activate and run those things. And right now, more than any other time, there's a lot of relatively mature and experienced innovation talent out there. So finally, let's talk about that talent. Innovation is a sort of sport, and in sport, you need to motivate players. When you're innovating in a large company, there are rarely stakes. So what's the right approach in motivating your team when building a solid innovation strategy internally? On a human level, people want to know that what they're working on is important. And I think that's something that any great leader just embodies every day. Important, not just to make their KPIs, you know, get promoted, but important at a higher level as well, both for the goals of the organization and you know, for, for society. So making sure that people stepping into those innovation roles get the importance 
in unequivocal terms from on high is a really big deal. There's a lot of behavior in organizations where leaders will say, hey, we're becoming this brave new company. We're not going to fear failure. Go explore. Don't worry about the constraints of the current business and create these, these exciting expeditions. And when people come back with stuff that is, is really worthy and, 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 and launchable, then leaders often get cold feet. It's very easy to say, be brave and go explore, and very hard to pull the trigger on brave new things where there's reputational risk. You know, if a company launches something really brave and it doesn't work, you know, that there, there, there's, there's worry around that. So the best way to undo it all is to ask the organization to be brave, but to not match that bravery with a willingness to pull the trigger on brave things. So that's where the importance of what they're working on is really tested. You know, was it really important if you got us all excited to go explore, but weren't pulling the trigger? You know, was it just a cultural initiative or a mission critical initiative for the future of the business? I think that that's a really critical distinction. Summarizing everything we've discussed, it seems one of the biggest things that can hold innovation back is attempting too many new things at once and not assessing what the organization already brings to the table. The strategy shouldn't be to try and take on new things in the current environment, but to find a new way of building your existing talent to be leveraged in better ways. A big thank you to Mark and Todd for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. This podcast was brought to you by Capgemini Invent. We'll see you next week. Thank you.